Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here today. We hope that you are encouraged by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Okay, so we're talking about the superior covenant of Jesus Christ and the covenant that Christ offers us. It's called the New Covenant. And some of you might hear it's the covenant of grace. And this is a covenant that was predicted. Uh, it's revealed in the New Testament, but predicted in the Old Testament. So we got these words, Old and New Covenant, Old and New Testament. What are we talking about? As I went through chapter 8 and 9, I was like, all these things started to come to me. And I was like, okay, Lord, like, man, let's just strip it down and let's talk about what those words mean so that we can have greater understanding as we move forward. Fair enough? So a covenant is a formal agreement, a promise between two or more people. So for instance, if you get married, you're in a covenant, right? If you uh, agree to go to work in some situation or in some way, there's a really formal, solemn binding agreement. So work might not be a good example, but marriage is the best example I can think of, okay? So we have this covenant. That's what it's talking about. It's an agreement a promise that really binds two or more people together. And then a testament is something that serves as a sign of evidence or a witness toward that promise, okay? So in the Old Testament, God was laying out how He was entering into this contract with the people that wanted to live in a covenant with him. Now, this was specifically the Old Testament really related to a group of people called the Israelites. And so you watch the journey in the Old Testament. God enters into this contract. You want to have a relationship with me. I'm going to demonstrate that. So that's the Old Covenant. And how it's revealed or how it's testified to is in the Old Testament. Okay, you following me? So the Testament, the Old Testament is a picture of the Old Covenant being lived out. Fair? No, totally lost you, Pastor. I'm lost here, Pastor Greg. Okay, just follow me. We're going to go on this journey. It's like this testimony of how people live together with God. That's the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament is the testament of the contract that God is establishing that's new and different than the old contract, and basically it's testified to in the New Testament. So when you hear those words, Old Testament, New Testament, what is it talking about? And so you begin to gain some understanding. In the Old Testament, it's a picture of people trying to reach God through an old covenant. And you see all these attempts to be made to reach God that way, to live together with God. And in the New Testament, we see a different way that we can live together with God. It's just important for you to understand that as we move forward. Let's start with the Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament, as I said, was a testament between God and and the, the people of Israel, a specific nation. And he said, this is what it means to live in a relationship with God. And so he gave them a series of charges and Old Testament laws. And so these laws were, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. If you fail to do these things, it's not going to go well for you. And so he entered into this contract, this covenant with these people. And uh, the problem was in the old covenant, guys, here's the problem is God kept entering into a contract with them. And guess who broke the contract? Mankind. So it's kind of like they got married and then we, we were unfaithful. Okay? So God in His generous mercy reestablished the covenant or the contract with us. And over and over and over again, guess what we did? We broke it. Did God ever break it? No. 
And so the picture, guys, I want you to understand, they're trying to get right with God, and uh, there's a journey they're trying to take, and God even, even made a, uh, an, an ability for us to get things right with God, and, and that was through forgiveness of sins. And so what they would do, back then the covenant was lived out amongst the nation of Israel, and they had a place called the temple or the tabernacle where they would go and ask for forgiveness for their sins. And in that tent or tabernacle, uh, there would be priests who would bring the offerings of the people, because that's how it worked back then, uh, the offerings of the people to be forgiven of their sins. Are you following me? And so the problem was this. They had to come every year. Why? Because only temporarily would it remove the sins. And so every year they had to return. And once a year, this guy named the high priest went into the very holy of holies, the very inner part of the temple, and he offered sacrifices for the whole nation. Once a year, one-time sacrifice, and then the year after, he'd have to repeat it. This went on for many, many years. Now, I'm going to tell you a little hint about the Old Testament and the Old Testament priests. When you went into this temple... Okay, into this tabernacle, into this church, if you want to call it that. Uh, it's an interesting place because there were no, no chairs. None. Why? The pre- it symbolized something. The priest's work was never done. And so they had to stand all day long and offer sacrifices for their sin. Are you following me? Their own sins and the sins of the people. You're all sitting down pretty comfortable here. Imagine if you had to sit for the, or stand for the entire service. There's no place to be seated there. You following me? And as a matter of fact, you couldn't even get into the holy place or even close to the holy of holies because a priest had to intercede for you just so you could be right with God. But you yourself could not access God. Kind of sad. Are you following what I'm saying? This is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, that we need a priest to intercede for us just to get access to God. Tough, a tough gig. Now, let me explain what happened in the Old Testament system. The Apostle Paul explains it best. It's not going to be on your screen, but let's listen. As it is written, there is no one who's righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. This is back in the days of the Old Covenant. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather than that, through the law, they become conscious of sin. And so, can you... This was the whole... like. The Jewish people established this incredible system of works that you had to do, and you had to live up to this thing. The problem was you kept, they kept breaking the contract with God. So when you study the Old Testament, that's what you see, the testimony of how this really, God was so good, so generous, so kind, and we just kept blowing it. Okay, so what happens? You know, pretty harsh. How could we possibly have a right relationship with God? Well, Hebrews 9 explains it to us in chapter 8. Let me read one scripture to you. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free for the sins that were committed under the first covenant. Okay. What, was the, what are you talking about, Pastor Greg? There is a new pathway to God. There's a new way for you and me to be right with God. 
It's not through our own effort. It's not through what we can do. It's not through us bringing sacrifices over and over again. God has established a new way for every single human being, not just the Jews, but all the non-Jewish people and the Jewish people. You can be right with God through the new covenant, a new way of coming into relationship with God. You see, there's this plan that was predicted in the Old Testament in several places and revealed in the New Testament through the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That's the story. Are you following me? So Hebrews chapter 8 explains this more fully. We're just going to read a couple scriptures, then I'm going to finish the story a little bit more. Hebrews 8, this is starting verse 6 all the way to verse 13, but I'm only going to read two scriptures. It says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant to which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said in Jeremiah 31. You can also read this in the book of Isaiah in the book of Ezekiel where God predicted there would be a new contract offered to mankind. A superior covenant. A new covenant. I'm just going to read that, what that covenant promises to you from the rest of chapter 8. And by the way, what chapter 8 is doing, guys, in Hebrews is quoting completely this section of Scripture from Jeremiah. Okay? So that's why when you read it, it's like, wow, what, where, what is this Old Testament stuff coming up in the New Testament? Okay? So let me just read it to you. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible, but I just want you to listen to what it promises. Heads up, the days of, co- of coming when are set up under a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah, and I'll throw out the old plan. I set up a, a, this plan with their ancestors when I led them out of the pr- Egypt into the promised land. They didn't keep their part of the bargain, so I looked away and I let it go. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper, It isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it in on the lining of their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. You won't go to school to learn about me. You won't buy a book called Five Easy Steps and Lessons in Being Right with God. They're all going to get to know me firsthand. The little and the big. The small and the great. They'll know me by being kindly forgiven by me. With a slate of their sins wiped forever clean. By coming up with a new plan, the new covenant between God and His people, God put the old plan on the shelf, and there it stays, gathering dust. So under the new plan, or the new covenant, you guys, we have all been given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift. Our responsibility, your responsibility, and my responsibility is simply to put our faith in God's finished work on our behalf to trust Jesus Christ and to respond to his leadership daily in our lives. You see, Jesus came to a world that was desperate for salvation. They were desperate to find a way and a path to God, but we could never earn it on our own, and we could never deserve it by our works or our own effort. And so what he did was his son came in our place, took our sins, our faults, and our failures, the things we kept doing wrong, and he took those things and he said, those things I will take away from you 
and I will pay for them on a cross. I'll pay the price for all your sins and faults and failure, the whole world. If you will then turn to me and simply trust me, ask me to forgive your sins and turn and trust in my life, then I'll give you what you could never earn on your own. Now that sounds great. This one sacrifice has fulfilled all the needs of the old covenant and put us under the new promises of Jesus Christ. In all my efforts to try and change myself, to keep my, to have a relationship with God are changed now and the efforts now turn to simply trusting God so that I can enjoy a permanent, unbroken relationship with God. Now, if you're like me, you ask questions. So my first question is this. How can that be? Because won't I just blow it again? I mean, God forgives me and cleans me up, and then two seconds later, I blow it. Anybody ever been there? Okay, if you haven't figured out that you're there, keep coming to church. You're all there. Okay? How can we enjoy this permanent, unbroken relationship with God. Now, I just gave you a lot of words, so I want you to understand it in very, very practical terms, okay, before we move forward. Let's say you wanted to be married, and your desire was to be married to somebody who had the same values as you, wanted the same good things in their life, amen? I mean, this is the kind of marriage you want to be in. You want to be in a marriage that's like, I'm so thankful for you because, man, you're going the same direction as me. You want what I want. You desire those good things. Now, let's say you enter into that marriage with that person, but you quickly find out they really don't want what you want. They really don't have the same belief that you have. They really don't live out of the same values that you live out of. And so what happens? They break the contract. Okay? They break covenant with you. Now, you're such a generous, kind, merciful, loving person. They come back to you and say, I I really, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try better. I'll do better. Take me back. So you take them back. And then life is good for a little bit. And then what happens? They start going in a different direction again. They start doing what they want to do. And guess what happens? They break covenant with you again. But guess what? You're so good. You're so merciful. You're so kind. You're so loving. You say, I I want you back. And they say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Take me back. And they come back. And guess what happens? They break covenant with you again. Guys, this is the entire Old Testament. It's actually called the cycle of sin. They come back to God, I'm going to do better this time. I'm going to do my best, Lord. Don't give up on me. And and God says, I love you. And you come back into relationship. You say, oh, I'm so thankful you love me again. So thankful. But guess what happens? You just go and you go your own way and you break covenant. Now, I I don't want us to be hard on our Old Testament counterparts. Because you need to understand something, you guys. This is the entire picture of a nation trying to be right with God in their own effort and their own strength to obey a law they could never obey. God did that intentionally, you guys, to prove to mankind that in and of themselves, They could never be right with God. God needed people to see their desperate brokenness and need of mercy. And so this is what occurred. 
And Jesus came and built a new contract or a new covenant, offering it to all of mankind and saying, guys, you can't make it on your own. Now, let's get back to the marriage. So you're heartbroken. The covenant's not working. You, this covenant is done now. It's just destroyed. It has only indicated that you'll never be right on your own. And so that contract ends. But how does it end? Well, finally, you meet somebody who's just like you, wants the same things you want, has the same values that you have. And so you say, I'm willing to try a covenant with you. And that person goes into covenant together with you. With me, you get married. And then what happens is your marriage is amazing. And these guys really kept their word. They really kept their promise. And they're living in this incredible marriage and relationship. And they look at each other and they say, man, this is so good, so amazing. We should adopt kids and let them live under the blessing and the covering of our covenant. Are you following me? So they do. They adopt these kids from all over the place. And these kids have never seen a marriage like this. They've never experienced the blessing that comes by living in this incredible, under this incredible contract, this incredible relationship between this husband and this wife. And so all kinds of kids come, broken kids, hurting kids, you know, desperate kids, like, man, I want to have the blessing that you have. Now, you know, every once in a while, there's a kid that's living under that contract that just says, you know, living under that covenant that just says, I'm done with this. I don't want to be your kid. I want to do my own thing. Now, here's the question. When they leave, does it break the contract? I'm talking about the kids. If a kid breaks the heart of the mom and dad and goes and does their own thing, does it change the marriage between the husband and wife? No. Why? The contract was never between them and the kid. It's between the husband and wife. Now, why am I telling you this lengthy story? See, the new covenant that you and I are involved in is not a covenant between you and God. It's actually a covenant between God and Jesus. And the offer of the covenant is, do you want to come and live under our blessing or keep trying to have a blessing in your own life now let me explain this you see the covenant the new covenant that you and i are invited into guys all mankind is invited into is between not between god and all mankind it's between god and one man who is that one man Jesus. See, Jesus left heaven. Though he was God, he became a man. And he lived perfectly. He was, this is a contract, you guys, between a perfect God and a perfect man. And Jesus fulfilled all the things necessary to fulfill the Old Testament laws. Jesus lived a perfect life. And in his death, he took away the old contract. Why? He built it because Jesus himself is God. And so he came as a man, lived this perfect life, died this incredible death to take away the old contract and establish a new one. And the offer of God to all of mankind, so when you enter into the new covenant life, what you're saying is, God, I trust you. I can't do this on my own. My life is pathetically falls short of the goodness of God. I'll never be right with God. Remember Romans talked about not one. No one can do this on their own. Not even one except For the one sent the Son of God who became a man. 
This is why the new covenant is so awesome, you guys. It's a perfect contract between a perfect God and a perfect man. It can never change. It can never be broken. And it is eternal. Is that not a covenant that you want to live under that umbrella? Amen? Okay, you're starting to get this now. You see, I live in a life, and, I live, and you live in a life, you know, we're, how can we be right with God? It's simply a gift. Now, that sounds great, but how many of you know that's really hard to trust that God would be that good, that kind, that merciful, that I, God, that you would pick me to be your son, your daughter, to live under this contract that you've established with your son? Wow, God. And yet, this is what he's done. I live in a world, and you live in a world where everything is earned. Everything. <laughs> you show up at work, and what do they expect you to do? Work. I'm just here to get a paycheck. I'm not really interested in this work stuff. I got video games waiting for me at home. <laughs> okay, anyway, if any of you kept a job with that attitude, put up your hand if you've got a full-time job that doesn't require anything of you. No hands. I don't even need to shield the light. No. <laughs> Just none. And so God comes with this new perfect covenant. Now let me read it to you as Romans 3 describes it. So remember, Romans 3 is the one that said no, nobody can live up to it. Now look at what happens when Jesus comes. But now independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that Scripture prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And now, all who believe in Him receive that gift. For there is really no difference between us and all for we've all sinned and are in need of the glory of God. Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God gives us away his righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us, all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. So our conclusion is this. God's wonderful declaration that we are righteous in His eyes can only come when we put our faith in Jesus, not by keeping the law. And so God comes with this incredible offer. And He says, here you go. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But I'm going to give it to you. Do you believe? I sure do, God. I sure do. Now, what happens when I come under the new covenant? The Bible says that we are adopted into the family of God. Remember, the covenant is between who? The Father and the Son. And you've been offered admittance under the covenant through faith. Will you trust me? <laughs> Will you trust me? God adopts you into His family. Romans 8 tells us about that adoption. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about an adoption to his sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. The spirit himself testifies to our spirits that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You know what he's saying? Everything that is Jesus's is now yours. 
Everything that is Jesus's is now yours. It's a free gift. Will you take it? Wow. You've made, been made completely right with God. You have a new relationship with God. Not through a priest, but through direct access to God. I don't go through a priest anymore. I don't go through a priest. I just come as I am into the presence of God. Can you imagine? I walk right by all the trappings, all the stuff, all the things that you need to get, do sacrifices, you need to do this, you need to do that in order to be right with God. I get to walk by it all. Now, remember I talked about the temple? That I couldn't even go in. I could go in the outer court, but the inner court was for priests. And there was one other place, the Holy of Holies, that only one priest got to go once a year. Amen? That's the high priest. And by the way, that's a place covered by a three-inch woven piece of cloth. How much light gets through a three-inch woven piece of cloth? None. This one guy would go into that place once a year and offer a sacrifice for sins for all people. Then he'd get out of there quick. Because then there was one seat. There was one seat. It was called the mercy seat. And God would, this priest would go in and sprinkle the mercy seat with blood. So the sins of himself and the people would be eliminated for that year. But guess what happened? That's the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the stories of the Ark of the Covenant? The angels are bowing over and there's one seat there. Nobody can sit on that seat except one person who fulfilled the entire law. Guess who sits on the mercy seat for you and me? Jesus. And guess what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The Bible says that that curtain, 30 feet high, three-inch woven, ripped from the top to the bottom and exposed the Ark of the Covenant. Because Jesus paid the price to make us able to go into God's presence. Now, remember when Jesus died and they went to the tomb to see the body of Jesus and they looked in the tomb and all they saw was the place where his body was laid. And guess what was on both sides of that when they looked in? Two angels, one at the foot and one at the head. That was the Ark of the Covenant. Because the Ark of the Covenant had two angels. They, one bowed in and one bowed from the other side in. And in the middle was the place of mercy. Jesus died to open that curtain, guys, and let you in. Wow. What? Jesus sits in the mercy seat. Now, this is what's so crazy. When you're born again, what do you do? What makes you born again? What makes you right with God? God, forgive my sins and come into my life. You invite Jesus Christ to come into you. So when he comes and lives in you, by the way, guess what you are? The new temple. <laughs> he comes and lives in you. Suddenly when God looks at you, what does he see? Jesus. Didn't see you. You're in Christ. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Wow. So I, it's not by my service. It's not by my sacrifice. No, you've been given freedom. You've been completely right with God. You've been given freedom even from the power of sin, church. It says, sin shall no longer be your master. 
because you're not under the law, but under grace. But now, God's loving servants, you live in joyous freedom from the power of sin. So consider yourself the benefits you now enjoy. You have been brought deeper into the experience of true holiness and true eternal life. And even the power to change you is because Jesus lives in you by the power of His Holy Spirit. It's not set as a religion. It's set as a relationship. Now, does that mean that living in the new covenant requires nothing of me? That's a lie. What it requires of you is that you continually turn back to trusting God. I'm going to explain this in a minute. Why you as a Christian go, well, Pastor Greg, that sounds great, but why do I keep struggling with sin? We're going to get there. Why do we keep sinning if we're under this new contract? Do I mean I can just do whatever I want? I can keep on sinning and there's no, no challenge to me, no change? Now, here's the thing. Why would you want to keep sinning when sin destroys life? What God is offering you is to set you free from sin. But how many know that's going to take a lifetime? I'm going to tell you why it's going to take a lifetime in a minute. But our works now are works to respond to God. You see, guys, listen. Dead works are those things we do trying to be right with God. Good works are those things we do because we are right with God. They're two different things. Guys, I, I've watched two Christians doing the exact same things, and one has freedom and joy and confidence and peace, and the one next to him is dying and struggling and, and going, I can't make this work. Why is this not working? One has come through faith, and one has come through works. Now, what am I talking about there? See, God is offering you a new purpose for your life that you're a new creation. You've been reconciled to God. You're an ambassador of the kingdom of God. God is as if he's saying, if I can transform this person, surely I can transform you. Amen? This is the invitation. What's wrong? Then what's wrong with believers today? What's wrong with you and me? We keep bouncing between two covenants. We keep bouncing between two covenants. We come to God by faith, and then we say, God, I got this now. Thank you for saving me. I'm now going to take over and prove how good I am. Anybody ever done that? I do it over and over and over again. And when I bounce between these two covenants, one produces life and one produces death. That's how it works. This is what we do today. You see, we're not of Jewish descent. We've never lived under the old covenant. Have we, Pastor Greg? I need you to understand something, you guys. Every single human being lives under the old covenant. You have a conscience that God has put in you. You have something in you that is telling you what you're doing is not right. There's something in you that's judging you continually. Are you following what I'm saying? So even if you say, well, I don't follow the law. I'm not into that old religious stuff. There's still something in you that says, try, work harder, do more. And so this is what's occurring. We're bouncing between, even as Christians, we, we bounce between these two covenants. We try to mix the covenants. Do you know the Bible predicted we would do this? Crazy, eh? Predicts it in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Listen to the words. It pleased the Lord for the sake of His righteousness to make His law great and glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. All of them trapped in pits or hidden away in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They have been made loot with no one to say, send them back. 
Which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in the time to come? Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to be subject to the plunderers? Was it not I, the Lord, against whom they have sinned? Wow. Now, why did I read that scripture to you? Because I want you to understand something. The Israelites were under this old covenant, but they weren't really living up to it. So they got plundered and looted, stolen from, ransacked, living below what God intended. But you know, sometimes we Christians do that too, don't we? We bring our brokenness to God and we can't seem to get free from it. It's because we keep trying to turn away from faith, which Ed prophesied today, to turn back to self-centeredness instead of God-centeredness. Or we're trapped in pits. Are you trapped in some habitual sin you can't break out of? Are you feeling like you can't get free no matter how hard you try? Are you living in the brokenness of your own sin, thing? I, I thought this Christianity thing would work. Maybe for some of you, you're hidden away in a prison. A prison of inward sin or despair. Maybe you're confused or in, dis- in despair. Christianity hasn't helped you the way you thought it would. You're alone, alone in the dark, damp prison of your mind, alone with your fears and failures, always feeling like you've fallen short. You're trapped by the standards you can't possibly live up to. You come to church, put on a big smile, but everything inside is not going well. God would say to you, you're bouncing between two covenants. a heavy sermon, Pastor Greg. I'm trying to get you free here. And then it says, with no one to rescue them, hidden away in prisons, trapped in pits, living less than God intended. Wow. What do you mean there's no one to rescue them? Guys, as long as we live in the old covenant, there's no one to rescue you. Because under the old covenant, You're the answer. It's only when you live in the new covenant, the covenant of grace through faith, you have a rescuer. Amen? And and shockingly, guys, this is crazy. This is the most crazy verse in this, everything I just read to you. Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to be plundered? Was it not I, the Lord, against whom you have sinned? Why would God turn us? Why would God put us under that judgment? This is the hardest thing for us to understand. If we keep turning to our self-centeredness rather than trusting in God, God says to you and to me, I can't help you if you're over there. It's only when you're over here trusting in Christ. Only when you're here saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Guys, even when you sin and, 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 and God reveals to you, you've sinned. He's not asking you to fix it. He's asking you to say, God, you're right. I've sinned, and if I try to fix it, I'm just going to end up with a worse form of self. Would you help me, God? What he's saying to you, will you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? Because the minute you do that, over and over and over and over again, God says, yes, yes, I'll meet you as long as you approach me by faith with thanksgiving for what my son has done for you. Well, you keep coming back to me and keep trusting me. And little by little, he begins to set you free from this incessant need to try to earn it. To try and do it on your own. 
Well, how do, I, how do I start living in the new covenant? Really living in the new covenant? I want to tell you the whole reason you go to church. I want to tell you the whole reason you pray. I want to tell you the whole reason that you read your Bible. Here it is. First thing you need to do to live in the new covenant. Position yourself to live in a revelation of Jesus. What does that mean? You know why I worship God? I have to get my eyes off myself. I worship God to see God. Because when Greg Fraser, even when he comes to church, there's so many thoughts about himself. Every morning I get up, guess what I'm thinking about? Me. And, you know, I have to work at it. I have to start in the morning. My work, this is the work of the Christian. Now, God, I give you my incessant need to take control. Reveal Jesus to me, Father. Even when I sin, even when I blow it, Guess what I want to do? I want to fix it. I want to get up and earn, God, would you love me now? I'll try harder. Give me another chance, God. Stop it. Say, God, I can try all I want. It's never going to work unless you're in my vision and sight. You know, that's why the high priestly prayer is prayed and we see is like God turn your face toward me God be gracious to me reveal yourself to me God turn your face so that I see you God because I'm going to keep trying to do this on my, on my own God but Lord I pray and I read the word and when I used to read the word and pray I'd say God are you happy with me now I spent an hour in prayer and I read six chapters Lord missing the whole point I came to church and I tithed God surely you are happy now with me son I love you I need you to stop trying to earn anything from me and I want to give you everything you're looking for see me see me see me you see if God gave you what you earned then he can't give you he can't give you what Christ earned you decide which covenant am I going to live under you say well pastor what, what works do I do your work is to see God and I have to pray and I have to read the word and I have to daily die to my self-centeredness and live to see God. Father, I just need to see you today. I need to be reminded, God, of how much you love me, Father. I need to be reminded that Christ paid the price for me, that you chose me, Father, and I don't earn it, and I don't deserve it, God, but you are so good. You ask me to come into your presence. You've made a way for me, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. The only thing I can bring God is my gratitude, you guys. The only offering he accepts is when I say thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you that Jesus took my place. And then he gave me his place, Father. Adoption into your family, God. Forgiveness of my sins, Father. And I got to do that 20 times a day. <laughs> Why? Because I'm being set free from my old, selfish, self centered thinking. My attitudes and actions that constantly pull me to look to myself, to judge you by the same judgment, rather than saying, turn to God. Turn to God. Turn to God. 
You say, does that, I can just keep on sinning? That's just stupid. Sin destroys you. God is opposed to anything that destroys you when all he has for you is life. Amen? Position yourself to live in a continual revelation of God. God isn't looking for any other effort from you other than gratitude, thanksgiving. Even when he convicts you of your sin and shortcoming, it's not so you can fix it. It's so you can turn it over to Jesus. Do you know the Bible says that the Holy Spirit only speaks of Jesus? You know that voice that's condemning you all the time is not the Holy Spirit? But the Holy Spirit will say, there's a better way to live. And he reveals Jesus. Jesus paid the price. Jesus paid the price. Stop trying to do this on your own. Come to me. Look to me. Hallelujah. Let me reveal how great and awesome and glorious I really am. Here's the second thing you do. Spend time responding to God and expressing your gratitude for all he's done, which we've talked about. That's all you can do. <laughs> so pathetic. It's so pathetic. God, I'm just grateful. God, I don't want to live in sin. You're the only one that can set me free, God. You're it. And every time I sin, the devil's right there saying, you need to try harder. You need to work harder. You need to do more. You need to, you, 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 you. All he speaks of is you. All the Holy Spirit speaks of is Jesus loves you. Jesus has a better life for you. Jesus made a way for you to be free. You don't have to live under that anymore. Wow. Jesus, help us to get this today. Help us, Lord. Thanks for joining us today. If you want more information, please visit our website, tfhchurch.ca, and we'll see you next week.